I'm John Graft, and I love Chicago real estate. Between showings, I stop in my favorite places, talk with local business owners, and bring their story to you. This is my Chicago. So I know I'm going to mess this up. Hmm. Commercial broker, mm -hmm. uh, board member of a publicly traded CBD company, mm -hmm. co-owner of three Kilwins in, in Chicago, Chicago. Mm -hmm. and on a family business level, you're, an, you're a landlord, mm -hmm. you have uh, the luxury car dealership, car dealership mm -hmm. and golf courses, and golf right? Courses. Two golf courses. So we don't have three hours, <laughs> but we're talking because I think you're a very interesting person and you have perspectives that are not standard in this business. Mm -hmm. And you look at things, I think, very objectively, and you're not the carpenter finding that hammer for every nail. Right. I think you look at this holistically from every vantage point. What are your thoughts on real estate today? Um, so, as I was saying earlier, before the pandemic, I was pro apartments, pro apartments, pro apartments. Uh, millennials, there, there were more millennials entering the market than there were apartments available for them, which is why you saw all the construction. Um, that demographic typically is a six-figure earner. And so they could afford the luxury uh, of high amenity buildings with all the services and, and within the building, um, and they enjoyed this, the urban lifestyle. Pandemic hit, um, COVID, all the changes as far as distance and what have you. You know, most buildings close their amenity centers while they figured out the new what the new horizon looks like. Um, elevators were a big problem and that was a, that's a huge it's still a huge problem um, because you can't let as many people in the elevator as you used to so if I'm a person living in a, in a high-rise it takes me twice as long if not three times as long to get to my apartment or to leave my apartment that that's not sexy anymore you know and then the retail hospitality restaurant business down here is not thriving like it used to be. So what am I paying for to be here? So the millennials have switched their game plan and decided to become homeowners sooner than later. And right now in the United States, there's um, a shortage of 4 million homes to the buyer pool. So you are gonna continue to see the uh, bid up of houses that, you know, depending on who you talk to, are not worth it. But most people are reactionary and so the FOMO theory kicks in alright so if I don't buy it today I may not ever be able to afford it mm -hmm. but if we go back to 2009 when all the deconversion all the conversions were going on there would be lines down the street to get it in, to buy a unit because fear of missing out and then look what happened so I don't know what it's going to take but I think it's going to be a um, it's going to be a, a correction that unfortunately is going to hurt. So you don't think the corrections happened yet? No. You think the knife is still falling? I think the knife is still falling. I think, you know, as we see the glut of luxury homes here in the city, you know, I, I always say this, you follow the money. The, those people are leaving. They're not, you know, they're not moving from the Gold Coast to, you know, Vista that's not who's, that's a whole different buyer pool that's new money the old money is pulling out you know where they're going I don't know they're going to, you know Florida Florida <laughs> Florida yeah. Texas Florida, places like yeah, that yeah exactly so 
it'll be interesting to see. You know, I, I just I just don't see what the excitement is about the city. Um, you know, we we can talk about yeah, it's coming back, it's coming back. Well, <clears throat> you know, there's the city has a litany of problems right now that it needs to work through. It needs to work through crime. It needs to work through carjack. I mean, it, it, I can go on and on, but I won't get on that soapbox. But that's that's what I think. It's it's changed. People's uh, emotions are set in place, and um, they're buying at a frenzy. And you know, as a re- residential real estate broker, it's the greatest time to be in the business. You know, because you're servicing. You're servicing. If you don't do it, someone else is going to do it. You're servicing a need, a want, a desire. Does it make financial sense? Who am I? <laughs> so that's an interesting look. <clears throat> you and I bonded over that conversation because. You think people should buy real estate? I think people should buy investment real estate. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm not a big believer in single-family homes because that's a debt. You know, I don't care what you think about it. It's a non-performing asset. It will build equity based on the market, whereas investment real estate is is you're making money on your money. Um, it's hard money. It's not you know. You know, like Dogecoin, you know, it's not this, <laughs> it's there, all right? Uh-huh. You know, as long as you're managing it properly, your tenants are paying their rents, you're, you're providing, um, you know, quality housing, you shouldn't have a problem. You know, my family operates uh, four digits worth of apartment buildings throughout the United States, and we have management companies that are in great places, you know, and we, you know, and during the pandemic, we, in, in our worst building, we had 85% collections, and okay. our worst. Eighty-five percent collections that we collected. You rent. were collecting. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. That's okay. A, that was the worst building, yeah. right? And one of the nicer neighborhoods. In the urban neighborhoods where some of them are located, we didn't have collection issues. Do you think that's because people didn't have more options of places to go to? I think because the the white collar or service person restaurants, what have you, they were the ones that lose their job. Yeah. But the uh, nurses, the RNs. The Amazon workers, you know, we have a bunch of people that work for Amazon that lives in a lot of our property. They they still had jobs, so they, they it was just normal. And you know, and the other thing that's really crazy is, how are you gonna get people to go back to work when you just you're throwing money at them? You know, I mean, you can always tell when someone's got a stimulus check because you you look <laughs> right down there at Louis and Gucci and you see a line to get in. It's a joke. There's been a line the entire pandemic. Dude, it's crazy. Yeah. Okay, so what do you need? To, you know, but but. I guarantee you they're not paying the rent because it's the city moratorium. I mean, that's, you know, I understand what the thought was behind it, but the person who's hurting is the person you should be monitoring the most because the renter, you, when you finally evict them, you just get another tenant. Yeah. But if that landlord defaults, that's a credit default. And that has that trickles through the bank. I mean, that's, that's a domino effect. Okay, if that happens all over the country, that's what I'm saying. And it's it's that mandate is going to be lifted at some point. You just can't keep. You know, you're pushing it out. You're pushing it out. You're delaying the inevitable too. That's the funny thing. It's like we we we've, we've all been dealing with this for over a year. Mm-hmm. We've come to terms with it. The medical information has changed, even though some people are acting like it's still March 2020. Right. We right. learned a lot about this, and it's we're not responding Absolutely. alike. No. And the moratorium on evictions that you're talking about, it's the same thing. It's like, we're just pushing it, it away. We need to deal with it it's now. It's crazy. I mean, I, I know people in, that uh, have properties in the west, on the south side, 
and there's nothing they can do. You know, the problem with the, you know, there are grants to get the rent, but it's not landlord driven, it's tenant driven. And if the tenant doesn't be proactive about it, the landlord's stuck. So the tenant can get their rent? Yes. The landlord can't get relief? So the tenant can file, uh, a, apply for a grant to get up to $5,000 to pay past rent and, f- current and future rent. Okay. But the landlord can't apply for the tenant. The tenant has to st- activate it. Interesting. So if you have a, a rogue tenant, there's nothing you can do. You yeah. can't evict them. They're not going to go through the process. I heard of landlords applying for that. I think this case was in New York, mm-hmm. but he had his cl- his tenant's social security number and everything and from the application. For, he did it for him. And he got cre- caught. Yeah, and then you're creating a fraud. I mean, it's yeah. just it's a no win. Just because he wants to get paid because he's fearful. He's Absolutely. doing that out of fear, yeah. not out of want. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's all it is. They, you know, they're just looking for some uh, remuneration during this process. I mean. It's absolutely crazy, but it's an inevitable, you know, the banks, when when this all started, the banks were very lenient with apartment buildings and, you know, owners, and they said, listen, we'll do, we'll work it out, we'll put it on the back end of your loan, but at some point, you just, you need to start dealing with this, and I don't know what the answer is. So, if you're a 30-something couple right now, Mm -hmm. you're having a child, you're looking at what to do next, maybe you're not having a child, just say 30-something, no kids, actually and you're looking at condos, you're looking at apartments to rent, or you're looking at buying a building, maybe it's a two flat, three flat. Explain the different thought processes on each. Okay, so if I'm a a 30-some couple and I don't want to be a landlord and I want to live in the city, condo, um, and and you want to own because that's what you've been... Let's talk about, so, the, the, the idea of ownership, mm-hmm. what most people don't talk about is immediately, as soon as they sell that property, they're going to lose 8%, mm-hmm. right? Around 8%, they're going to pay brokers commissions, Absolutely. they're going to pay the city, the state, the county, Absolutely. they're going to lose that immediately. Yep. And brokers are always of the disposition, oh, if you're not buying, you're burning money. Right. I don't believe that. No. I know you don't believe no, that. Not at all. And it's all situational. Yep. There's a time and a place for right. everything. Right. I mean, because as a 30-something couple, you may say, you know what, um, we're going to be in Lincoln Park for the next 30 years. Okay, fine. Okay, you found this house, you're gonna grow into this house, it may be more house than you need right now, but you're, gonna, you're not leaving. Because that's what our parents would do, did in the past. They would buy their little track home and raise a family. And that home, they paid it off in 30 years because they were there all the time. That's suburban lifestyle. That's suburban lifestyle. You know, so here in the city, I am, I am of the belief that if you are not gonna be here and most, most millennials are white collar employees that are most likely gonna have a job transfer or promotion that's gonna take them outside of here. So and the average person, I think it's every, it's three to five times in their life that will happen. Uh-huh. So it's guaranteed statistically. So you are, you are, when you buy a place in the city, you're, you're already behind 10% at the, at the closing, okay? So you buy a place for 300,000, it's really now at 270 if you would turn around and sell it. You already lost thirty, so that you know it, you got to catch up, and then move ahead to make it all worth it. It just there's other you you be smarter to, and this is where I go back to investment property. If you're going to live in the city, pick a neighborhood you want to live in. Um, it doesn't take much to be a landlord, you know. Your first place, buy a two flat, you know. Minimize the housing costs as much as you can. If you don't need the money from the rental, use it to pay down the mortgage. 
um, as quickly as you can. And then as your lifestyles start to change, then the housing will change accordingly. You know, because you may, you may get a job transfer and take you to Seattle or whatever. Now you have an, a true unit investment property. It still is generating income for you. And so you have that cash flow producing asset. Mm -hmm. You can hold on to it if you want to manage it from abroad or find someone to do that for you. You can sell it, and at least you have something that's producing revenue for someone. Right. And that's part of your argument, right? right? Absolutely. And there's, you know, and and that is the residential market will ebb and flow like this. Apartment buildings, as long as the the income is there, you're not going to have value fluctuation. Okay. Okay. You know, in so this, less volatility. Less volatility. You know, you have um, you know, the way you can look at it is like this: you can you can expect to keep a tenant by raising the rent three percent, and you can get a new tenant with five percent. So, you know, if you if you plan it out and look out five years, and you figure out your expenses are going to grow at two percent a year, you can see what your total return is for that holding period. You know, and five years is usually a magic window because that's when most debt comes due. So at that time, you have, you, have, you have a choice. You can recapitalize, pull equity out to go to, and keep the, prop, the property to move into something else. Um, you can just refi for term. Um, or what you does that mean? Refi for term meaning whatever the exist, like you buy, you get a house or buy an apartment building today, the rate's 5%. At the end of the loan, you have to refinance that balance. And you just say, I don't want any more money. Just take the balance and re and uh, redo the terms. Okay, so, so you're not pulling any equity no. out, you're just getting a better interest rate right. and getting a new financial yep. vehicle. Yeah, rate and term refinance. So why is it 5%? Uh, what, why why, is, sorry, why is it five years? Um, most commercial lenders, because they, you, they can't offer commercial commercial real estate, or commercial mortgages beyond a five-year window. It's a federal thing, I don't, I never quite understood that myself. Interesting. Yeah, there's so, 10 year, there's, they do have seven and 10 year, but ideally they only want to keep on the books for five years. Okay. Yeah. And that's typically a balloon type mortgage? A typical balloon, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. They have to re they have to redo the loan altogether. It's, it's a whole separate loan. And I you know, that's beyond my pay grade. So. <laughs> How'd you end up with thousands of doors? Um, so not end up like you found it on the street, mm -hmm. but how'd so you get there? When we were when I was twenty no, nineteen, when I was nineteen, I bought my first place in Lyle, which is a condo. Um, and then from there um, I had a, and I had a roommate, and he was actually, his parents actually paying more than what it was costing me to own, because student housing was ridiculous, but, you know, $24,000 what I paid for the condo back then, and, and it was like, two bedrooms, two baths. So it was 1950. Eden Kitchen, I still remember, a corner unit, um, two parking spots, and so from there, at that time, we had a guy named Carlton Sheets. And I would just read and study, and I read the no money down and everything like. And one of the things, one of the things that, that they said was you should try to buy a property every every quarter. I, I did one every, I did two properties a year, and so just kept building it up. And and it got to a point where uh, we would start buying properties across the United States in in um, high income, high rent districts but we'd buy older units, fix them up, and then during the last uh, real estate boom, we would go around to hotels that was like in Miami and Fort Lauderdale, and we'd buy units there. So like W Fort Lauderdale, we have units in the residential part and units in the hotel part. How do those work? What do you mean? So they're managing, they man it's 
it's completely turnkey. I've seen those in Trump, but I, yeah. and here that's not common. In no, Chicago, in here's it's not, not a common, common thing. but in your in your coastal areas, it is. Okay. Um, and how do those operate? I don't know so, about it. So just think of they manage it. You're in. A, so when you go to reserve a, a hotel room, you know they have X number of units available, and then you rent one. But that rent is actually going to the management company, whether it's Marriott or whoever. Then they, there's a certain fee that they charge for maintenance and cleaning and all that. And then you, at the end of the quarter, you get a, a check. And so the hotel manages that whole process yeah, for you? Yeah, yeah, it's all hands off. And so did you see a, a particular opportunity in the market to get into that segment of the business? How did you identify that? So it was just it was just something other than straight, like, you know, for example, there's, there's, a, there's residential, or, or, um, what do you call it? residential multifamily mm -hmm. there's student housing there's mobile homes you know there's all different types and it was just for us diversifying in our apartment uh, portfolio okay yeah and what does your portfolio consist of currently um high rises uh, two high rises in detroit um a, a townhome development and then most of the other things are apartment buildings two to ten units and then uh condos throughout boston florida um seattle la you know so so most people would say a condo is a terrible investment from an investor standpoint. It is. It it is. Uh, we've had these for a long time. We haven't bought anything new. Okay. The last real estate we bought was Lafayette Towers in Detroit, and that was in November. That was November in 2012. Okay. We haven't bought anything else, and everything is whole. So we our our you know we get offers all the time to buy these places. The problem is we are not. We're not looking to leverage up we're not looking to 1031 into anything else um these you know these things just come up like you know just like the golf courses bank came to us and said we're foreclosing on these you know, we think these will fit your portfolio okay fine how did the bank know to talk to you um i don't want to go into the specifics okay. but you can just google it okay <laughs> You know, something to leave off the table, but it, but you, you if you have very good banking relationships, they'll come to you. And why a golf course? That would scare me. Uh, one thing I don't. So I don't here's know the funny. About golf. So here's the funny so thing. I have yet to go to either one of them. <laughs> Wait, you've never visited them. I've never visited. <laughs> but I, was, I will say this. I think, and I won't identify where they're located. But I think if everyone knew that they were owned by black people. It would blow their mind because they're in some of the most prominent. These two are in the, some of the most prominent white neighborhood uh, communities you can think of, and we'll, we'll leave it like that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yep. Kilwins is mm -hmm. a huge brand. Mm -hmm. People know it. Mm -hmm. How did you get involved in that? Um, so, when I was a lender, I had my assistant, who um, was a teacher or assistant or no, she was an administrative person for Chicago Public School uh, on Clark Street. And she started work. She came to me to refinance our home because she wanted to get a divorce. And wait, hold on. She was getting divorced, so she wanted the refinance. Yeah, to pay them off. You know, she to wanted pay to pay them off through the refinance and, and, and say goodbye. Debt. Yeah. Okay. So, I just took her under my wing and I said, "Come work with me." So we we were doing all the conversions. We would buy new. She would manage all those contracts for all the conversions, and we would do deals together. And then she said, "In 2005, I'm bored." So I just said, "Find a franchise, and if you like it." You know, I'll put up the money and you run it. And the rest is history. She, Got it. she was in Florida. She started sending me photos and emails. And I, well, kill ones, kill ones, kill ones. So our first one was in Orland Park because we didn't want to come to the city and, and make them and fall flat on our face. So we cut our teeth in Orland Park 
and then the market crashed, the real estate market crashed, and that whole, it just dried up. I had no idea you've been doing that for that long. Yeah, okay. so that, so then from there, we went to uh, Old Town, and think about Old Town in 2009, it was still not, not as- It's not what it is today. Today, right, and we were next to Orso's. So, when we opened there though, we became, uh, the Chicago Magazine said we were the number one fudge in the city, sorry Margie. Uh, <laughs> And that took off, and then Jackie's African American, you know, and that just whole city thing. So the University of Chicago came to us and said, "We would love to have a Kilwins in Hyde Park. We're redeveloping all that." And that's how we went to Hyde Park, and then we did a test run at uh, Queens Landing, and we so we would do that seasonal, and then we just that's we, smart. Yeah, and then we started one. It was it was funny. We just started walking Michigan Avenue one day, and where Dylan's was at the Tribune Tower, mm -hmm. that's what we looked at. That's the original idea. Yeah, and that's a great location. Yeah, and we were just like we couldn't afford it, that, you know, because, and we couldn't afford it, and Fannie Mae was too close. Okay, and so uh, the thing we thought about the park is that a park is a destination, and most likely they're going to keep going to the tours of museums. Yeah. And so we said, that'll be a great spot. Well, everyone gets hungry being in the park. Yeah. I know I've been with people a number of times and you're looking across the street, like what's open, what can yep. we get? Cause no one wants to walk that no, far either. No. Mm -mm. And so we, we went there and that was, I mean, that's, even though it's South Michigan Avenue, it was still the high rent district. And from there, we always, we always wanted to go, we were, we were looking at going to the airports. And from the airports, we decided Navy Pier would be the final destination. Okay. And so, you know, we're almost ready. We should have that open in a month. Okay. Yeah. And, What's uh, going on in Navy Pier now? Um, there's a hotel, and then they closed the IMAX theater, and then um, it's just rebrand. You know, I, I say that it's just rebranding. It's Navy Pier. Okay. <laughs> it's still Navy Pier, you know. Um, but we took over a uh, spot, uh, a, I forget the re restaurant that was there, and just repurposed it. So. I remember we talked about this in the past, and you mentioned during a recession, the things that still did well what were this? So, during a recession, you're still gonna have ice cream, comfort food, and chocolates, and popcorn. Garrett's, look at Garrett's is the best story. It's Garrett's in Dubai, it's I mean, crazy. it's nuts, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, you know, we should only be so big, but those are, those are the comfort food. You know, your kids want it. You know, you're gonna use, it's comfort food for the adults, and so it's one of those things, you know, we are, we are, uh, a high price point, or at least we were when we first came to Chicago, but most people are now comfortable with it because it, there's it, a difference in quality. The price creep is amazing, how yeah. how much, how high things have gotten, but the comfort that people have with it, they're totally right, fine with right, it. Right, absolutely. People yeah. appreciate it, it's yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it's funny, I remember when the first time we opened in Orland Park, the lady goes, $5, I can get three ice cream cones at Baskin Robbins. I'm like, well, this is not Baskin Robbins, you know, in the story, but no one, you know, we, we get people every now and then that say, man, your prices are high, but those are far and few between, you know, and, you know, and I don't know where they come from because, you know, but, it, you know, I can say it about anything, mm -hmm. you know, so. The vape company, mm -hmm. the CBD company, mm -hmm. how'd you get involved in that? Um, so that was a friend of mine who I met in 2008 at, at Envy Penthouse Lounge, I think it was, um, and we just became friends. And then he started um, in, his, in his, his house in Kenosha. He just started making these vapes and go around putting them into vape shops and everything. And then it just grew from there. And then we got approached by 
uh, uh, publicly traded companies that we would like to buy you and then put you guys on and put you guys on the board. And we are, you know, it's it's just it's nuts. I mean, we we did a total of two million dollars last year. We have already done over five million dollars, and we are entitled to do twenty. You know, and it's just it's crazy. It's just crazy how that. But that's another. You know, there's edible. It's just, once again, people amaze me every day. Well, that industry is just. I mean, it's really just starting. All right. Right. And I mean, that's another one. I don't. I like people ask me. What, I have no idea what it is. I don't. I've never tried it. I don't want to try it. <laughs> but the stuff flies off the shelf. We yeah. can't. We can't make it fast enough. You know, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. So a lot of people look at investing and they say, I want to invest in things I love or things I care about. You you look at something that looks profitable. So here's the way I look at it. And this is going to be, this is, this is going to sound, I don't know how, how it's going to sound. I'm just going to say it like this. Um, the vast majority of people are lost. And when I say they're lost, um, they don't know what their purpose is in life and they're just going through the motions and whether it's comfort food whether it's mind alternating drugs and it's crazy I mean I just sit back and watch you know but and it's like I can either you know I can either be a participant or I can be an entertainer so to me this stuff is just entertainment it's an interesting way to look at it you're either on the stage or in the audience you like to look at yourself as on the stage looking at You know, I told a number of brokers I was doing this and what the topic was. And they're like, why would you tell people not to buy? They're like, you can't do that. I'm like, there are, I think, too many brokers underestimate the intelligence of their clients. Absolutely. And they abuse the trust factor. Absolutely. Because I've seen... I've Wait, I'll put it like this. I've never seen anyone post... This property sucks, but you should buy it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we every property in the world is gorgeous. It's great. Expensive. It's the best. Oh, my God. It's the best. Dude, come on. But unfortunately, people buy into it, you know? And Why do you think that is? Why do you think people are obsessed with homeownership? So it's not, it's, it's, it, it goes through everything. I mean, you know, why does the woman have to wear Christian Louis Vuitton versus... Payless, all right. Why does why do people go out and spend crazy amount of money on gym shoes and Yeezys? It, it gives them something status, but it's it's only in their circle. You know, that money. Like I know somebody who has thirty thousand dollars in gym shoes. Like, dude, thirty thousand dollars in gym shoes. Do you real? What? I mean, well, that's not worth thirty thousand dollars. No, either. no, that's what he spent. <laughs> but I'm saying, yeah. dude, if you had invested that properly. Okay, but they are they are professional consumers, and that's what most people are—just consumers. I like that professional consumer. Yeah, that's all they are. All, I mean, it's crazy, you know. Um, it's okay to want nice things, but you should be able to afford nice things. Meaning that, you know, if you want to buy Christian Louboutin shoes, it's a fragment. It's not even a thought. It's not even afford it. It's not right. about the affording exactly. it. Exactly. But unfortunately, I mean, I see, you know, it's always, it's, it's, I can't say the word on, on camera, but um, it's interesting. You watch it, you watch a real estate broker starts, just starts in the business. And then as they grow and they get a little money, you know, then all of a sudden it goes from the um, 
off the rack at Hugo Boss to custom, all right? Because they think that's what it's supposed to be. No, bro, you know, bro, no. This is a Kenneth Cole unlisted, okay? <laughs> Dude, come on. <laughs> my, my suits are custom. You're hurting my feelings here. No, they're cheap. I, they're cheaper than off the rack. Though. But that's they are. Let's thing. see the thing. They are cheaper than off the rack. But yeah. most people are not smart enough to realize that and they're doing it. They're doing it for the wrong reason. They're doing it for the wrong I reason. I had the same conversation with somebody who was buying suits at Burberry. I think it was Burberry. Yeah. And I was like, just get something custom made for you. Yeah, It'll fit yeah, you beautifully. Yeah. I mean, who, cares, I, who cares what the tag says and inside? I, and I, I won't And I, I won't lie. So I, you know, Nicholas Joseph is my go-to, go-to, go-to. Okay. All right. And and Katie was the one that sat me down and I still, back uh, almost 10 years ago, sat me down and said, okay, you can go to Hugo Boss, you just spend $7.95. And then you're gonna spend two hundred dollars to alter it. Yep. For seven ninety five, you get a custom made suit fit to you. Yeah. If you're gonna buy a suit, buy it. I mean, that makes sense. But you know, but most people they'll go to uh, Brioni and dude, no. come yeah. on, yeah. okay? But it's it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But like I said, professional consumers. Speaking of nice things, mm -hmm. what's the name of your car dealership? Uh, um, Mercedes-Benz St. Clair Short. Okay. Prestige Automotive Group. Prestige Automotive Group. And what is that? Um, so it's just a holding, it's a holding company of uh, luxury product line, which I won't identify for some of them. They, some of, some of the, we, we're a partnership in a lot of dealerships in Florida. Okay. Um, Can you we, not say one brand with another? No. Is that part of it? Yeah. Yeah. And so. Um, but I, I'm going to say it. I mean, the nicest cars you know of. Yeah. You guys are have. part of the portfolio. Um, we own the real estate that most of them operate out of. Um, and so. So in in the early mid two thousands, we were one of the only, we were the first minority owned dealership ever to gross a two gross a billion dollars in sales. Uh, we did it consistently. To this day, there's only been two. Um, the uh, CEO of BET, the ex past CEO of BET, and then us. And we we moved away from sales, and that's where our partnerships. But we kept the we kept the real estate that allowed them to operate out. And, and that makes it landlord. So going back to the portfolio, apartment buildings and then tenant, single tenant leases. So, so I mean, you're McDonald's and these guys are, you, you own the land right. and they're paying you every month. And that's right. the McDonald's model, right? right? That's what made them really mm -hmm. famous. And it's just, and once again, it's just a diverse, diversification of the portfolio. Yeah. So what's next? I don't know, but I, I, I really don't know. I, I, I ask myself that question quite a bit. Um, I'm, I'm collaborating with other brokers, brokerage firms, to, um, uh, the way I look at it like this, I'm not the end all be all and know everything and have everything. There are great talent in different companies. Yeah. And we're, we're beginning, to, I'm beginning to collaborate in different markets with them. So capitalize on their strengths. I'm the apartment guy. And you know, and they can bring the business, and you know, and it, it's a joint venture, uh, not joint venture. We're just we're just splitting, you know, and that's more exciting than um, anything else right now. So that's what we're doing. First one we're doing is Keller Williams. Okay. Yeah. So if someone wants to find an apartment building, they should reach out to you directly. Yeah. Looking for any type of investment property in the city, or just primarily apartment buildings. No, they can look for any because they can look for if they're looking for anything commercial related, um, because my team we handle uh, ground up land new construction, repurposing, um, uh, single uh, landlord and tenant representation as well. So 
we're doing doing a, quite a few things out in the Naperville area, which this year become public because of the, they'll be finalized. And you know, so knows we're working on about a, about a year and a half in this outside of port. You know, my bread and butter that I, I handle apartments. I'm underwrite apartments all day, every day, whether they're local or national, what have you. And for people that don't know, underwriting means what? Underwriting means determining the value and determining not whether or not a property is worth what is being offered or being asked. Okay. Yeah. So, and it's the same way, the way, the easiest way for most people to understand it, you buy a house, you apply for a loan, there's an underwriter that's underwriting you. In the commercial world, the underwriting is underwriting in the asset. And the asset's more important than the individual? The asset has to, the asset has to qualify to pay for itself. You're just the guarantor that if someone is not making rent, you can make the difference. Okay. And keep the debt. Yeah. Yeah. But primarily, if that building is not making money, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can't get it. You, yeah. yeah. You, you can get it, but you're, rather than a standard 20% down, you're going to have to bring the loan balance down to the number that the building can pay for itself. So the cash flow yeah. makes sense. And typically, it's for every dollar mortgage payment, you need to have a dollar twenty-five left over after expenses. Explain that again. So it's got a debt coverage ratio. So you have your gross, all your all your income sources from the building, whether it's a land or laundromat, uh, application fees, uh, lease then leases, then your taxes, your insurance, your rent, your repairs and maintenance, your your landscaping, your snow removal, all that, and then what's left is net operating income. That net operating income needs to be one 1.25 times what the debt is to pay for that building. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. My pleasure. I've been trying to do it for forever. I'm I know. <laughs> I know, right? It was yeah. crazy, but no, I'm glad. It worked out to be a perfect day. Yeah, the sun yeah. came out. And now I, got, I have to head back to Naperville and uh, have a 2 o'clock conference call. Yeah. Okay. That's it. That's well, I appreciate it, it man. All right. See you. Thank you. Thank you.